Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 4th, 2021, and you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, as always, we have a great show ahead for you. In the second part of the segment, we'll be talking with Dr. Mark Miravalli about his book, Meet Your Spiritual Father, A Brief Introduction to St. Joseph. Dr. Miravalli earned his sacred theological doctorate at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. He holds a St. John Paul II Chair of Mariology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, where he has been teaching since 1986. Dr. Miravalli has spoken at numerous international conferences and has appeared on EWTN, National Public Radio, BBC, and Fox News. He's the author of over 20 books in Mariology and Spiritual Theology, including his most recent work, Meet Your Mother, Introduction to Mary. And, of course, the book we're talking about today, Meet Your Spiritual Father, in Introduction to St. Joseph. But first, as always, we want to welcome everyone listening to us here on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn, Bryan College Station. And also welcome our Central Texas listeners on KYAR. 98.3 FM, Lorena, Waco. And a shout out to our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. We're live this morning, so if you would like to call in with something happening in your parish, our phone number, as always, is 85LOVERED-C. That's 855-683-7332. I want to also say hello to our President and the current producer of this show, Dennis Maka. Kind of a big pause there. You're trying to wonder what to call me now, huh? Yeah, you have so many titles. I <laughs> didn't know if we had enough time on the show to name all of them. Most of them are not good, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm glad you picked a good one. Yes. Thank you. How's everything going, Dennis? It's crazy. I'm ready for the, the kids to be back in school, and we can uh, kind of get back into a Somewhat normal, crazy routine, you know, predictable. Uh, summer always predicts n- nothing. We we can have a, a house full of kids one night and, and maybe one the next night. So it's just uh, raising teenagers and their cousins, and it's just great. It's great to have so much activity, but it's also very, very busy and unpredictable, and I'm feeling like I'm getting older by the day. <laughs> but that's fine, you know. Thanks be to God. Well, the one thing I have learned is hanging around young people is exhausting. Yeah. Just watching all that energy wears me out. <laughs> yeah. And we're we're watching the Olympics on top of all that. So oh, it's yes. that's uh yeah, it's amazing to see the wonderful feats and, and gifts that God has given so many people and especially when they they uh use them to his glory. So it's it's really nice to see. Yes. Uh I noticed that the Holy Father is one of the people that is in great favor of having the Olympic Games because it is such a demonstration of the beauty of God's creation and the gifts he's given us. Mm -hmm. 
It is. It's been great. It's been good. It's got its mixed blessings with some too much political activity and, and statements. But uh, when that's, you know, when it's good and they're they're focused on what they should be focused on, I, I love watching it. So, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, as we have in the past, uh, since we are celebrating still the year of St. Joseph, which, of course, lends it very nicely to the book we're going to be talking about in the second seg- mm-hmm. segment. Why don't we begin as we have been with our prayer to St. Joseph, and we will begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of your chaste spouse and virgin mother of God, I choose you this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor you all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly call on you to receive me as your adopted child to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain from me all the knowledge and love of the sacred heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And remember that uh, during the year of St. Joseph, this prayer carries with it a plenary indulgence instead of the usual partial indulgence. And a plenary indulgence is a complete remission of the temporal punishment due to sin that has already been absolved through the sacrament of confession. And you can offer this indulgence, especially for a deceased family member's release from purgatory. Very powerful. Yes. Well, St. Joseph is very powerful. But um, we're not going to talk about St. Joseph in the first section, which we normally do after the prayer. Because we will be talking uh, to Dr. Maravalli about his book, Meet Your Spiritual Father, in the second segment. So, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. The first is we're getting back into the swing of things with the beginning of the school year and all the programs at church beginning and all the people who have sort of taken the summer off and relaxed <laughs> and, well... All these programs that are going to be starting back up, religious education, your youth programs, but even the ministries at church, lectors, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, uh, music ministry, all Mm -hmm. these, I want to encourage everybody to prayerfully discern where you can help, because every parish that I know of needs volunteers, Mm -hmm. and so I encourage everybody to consider being a chaperone in a religious education class, Mm -hmm. helping with passing out food at the youth group meetings, doing something in your parish, be a greeter, volunteer to read. If you have a voice that's uh, good to listen to, volunteer to be in the choir. But do something. Because I think that most of the time we take it for granted that all these things happen at our parish, that there's always somebody there to do this. Yeah, there's always that assumption that somebody else will take care of it. Exactly. Well, consider this a personal invitation to you to volunteer at Mass. I'd say even a personal directive, maybe, (laughs) you know? I would Sometimes not, that's what it takes. I would not be so bold as to make it a directive, but certainly a strong encouragement. <laughs> Some of the older ladies at my church are very directive, and, and they've snookered me into a thing or two that I <laughs> wasn't planning on doing. Yes. 
So, yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> something else that you can get involved in or at least participate in, um, there is going to be a community-wide event coming up called Dwell. Dennis, mm-hmm. you want to tell us a little bit about it? Well, they're lab- labeling it a deanery celebration. It's a liturgical conference here in the Bryan College Station area, but it's not by any means limited to those that are in our deanery, uh, the Bryan College Station area. We'd love to have anyone travel in from from uh, south of here in the Navasota area, in the Brenham area, um, anyone from the Waco and Central Texas area, East Texas. This is going to be a great event filled with all kinds of engaging speakers, multiple opportunities for Holy Mass, adoration, uh, Eucharistic processions, liturgy of the hours, devotionals. Um, you know, it's all going to be kicked off at the beginning with opening Mass on Thursday, August the 12th at Christ the Good Shepherd Chapel in Bryan. And it's going to open up with the opening Mass, the votive Mass of Christ the High Priest. Then they're going to open up the courtyard outside for food truck dinners. Um, and then they're going to start opening the doors for a Matt Marr concert at 7 p.m. The, the concert starts off at 7.30, goes till 9, but then it continues with Matt Marr for a holy hour with contemporary music by Matt Marr. And that's going to be amazing. We're going to have all eight of our family members are going to be there for that. Upstairs in the balcony. And there's really not a bad seat in that house. No, honestly. there's not. It- is well designed for this sort of thing. Yeah, it, it's um, it's a great formerly a Baptist uh, church, uh, as Steve Ray said when he spoke there at the beginning of our Catholic radio adventure. He said, "This is a, I've heard of people that have converted, but this is a, one of the first times I've been into a church that's actually converted." So, um, it, it's it's got a great uh, stadium style seating, and it's it's um, it's perfect for an, an event like this. Yes, I remember when uh, Matthew Kelly came and spoke there. And yeah, filled the place. Filled the place to the rafters. Yep, and we're wanting to do that this time around. So it's a co-sponsored event between St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Parish, St. Joseph Catholic Church, Red Sea Catholic Radio, uh, Matt Mars Group, Worship Now, I believe that's who what he's associated with, and the Liturgical Institute. So uh, it's going to be a great offering. Then on Friday... They're going to have Mass in Latin, the votive Mass of uh, Most Holy Eucharist, uh, v- via candlelight at 7 a.m. Uh, all this will be available on the St. Thomas Aquinas website, stabcs.org. And then they also have uh, rosary in Spanish. They'll have confessions, rosary in English. Then they're going to have another Mass, and, and these will be different priests that have come in, uh, the votive Mass of the Most Precious Blood. Then they're going to have a Divine Mercy Chaplet in Spanish, continued confessions. They're going to have talks by Father Luis Gallo, uh, Catherine Whitaker. She's very dynamic. She's coming in from the Austin area. The next day, they're going to have more rosaries. The votive Mass of the Most Holy Eucharist starts at 915. Uh, Michael Rea, who is a liturgical coordinator uh, with our diocese, he's going to give a talk. Dr. Stacy Trezenkos from the uh, East Texas area. Y'all from Palestine, come on and hear her. She's going to give a talk on the Eucharist. And then we're going to have a talk by Michael Gormley and then Annie Hickman. So then they're going to have a closing Mass, uh, sung evening prayer before that, but closing Mass on Saturday, a vigil of the Solemnity of the Assumption. So it's it's going to be a, a big liturgical conference that 
we would love you to come and go to any part of it. The concert is ticketed and it is uh, for a cost because Matt Marr doesn't come for free anymore. Uh, not that he ever did, but he used to come for a lot less. Let me tell you, um, he, uh, the, the tickets are very reasonable though. We were able to, to get our whole family of eight in for a hundred dollars, which, which is nothing for a concert concert. for that up and close and personal. And there still are tickets, but the rest of the events are not ticketed and they are free come and go. So look it up. STABCS.org for the dwell deanery celebration and liturgical conference. And um, I want to mention that uh, Michael Brea, I interviewed him on church architecture here on the Red Sea Roundup, and that was a fantastic conversation. He's been our guest multiple times Mm -hmm. in multiple venues. All right. Uh, One other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is sort of a segue from Dwell, and this is the notion of gratitude and thanksgiving in our faith. And there's something that happens at almost every Mass before we start the Eucharistic prayer, and we pray that um, it is truly right and just to always give uh, uh, our duty and our salvation to always give you thanks and praise. And I wonder how many people notice that it says our duty and our salvation Mm. to give thanks. And there is a reason why the term Eucharist is used for Holy Communion. Eucharist means thanksgiving. It is in our presence, in our receiving this, that we should have one thought in our mind and one thought only, and that is thanksgiving. But I was listening to Father Simon this past week, and one of the comments he made was interesting because he was talking about the Ten Commandments. And he said that, have you ever wondered why coveting is in the Ten Commandments? Now, all of us can think that you shalt not kill, you shalt not steal. But coveting, why is it in the top ten? Because coveting by its nature means that I am unsatisfied that I am not happy with what I have and I'm looking somewhere else. Coveting is the opposite of gratitude. And so I think we should really consider, are we truly grateful with what we have? And if not, why not? All right, we're going to take a break in a few seconds, and on the other side, we're going to be talking to Dr. Mark Miravalli about his book, Meet Your Spiritual Father, A Brief Introduction to St. Joseph. All this I can, I am. And we are back, and as promised in a second, we're going to be talking with Dr. Mark Miravalli about his book, Meet Your Spiritual Father, A Brief Introduction to St. Joseph. Dr. Miravalli earned his sacred theological doctorate at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. He holds the St. John Paul II Chair of Mariology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, and he's been teaching there since 1986. Good morning, Dr. Miravalli. How are you? 
Good morning, Deacon Mike. It's uh, I'm doing well. It's a it's a joy to be with you today. It's a pleasure to have you on, especially talking about you know, your book during this year of Saint Joseph for the whole year we've been doing a prayer to St. Joseph at the introduction to our Roundup show, and so this fit in perfectly. But before we get into your book, I wondered if you'd tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Uh, you told me uh, ahead of the show that you're also a deacon, so it's Dr. Deacon Mark Miravalli, STD. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not sure heaven's very much concerned with the with the with the the, the initials that come after the name. I I think they prefer like B L period or S T period that comes before your name. Uh, and mine certainly don't have that. So, uh, but but I'm I'm in process. I'm praying, but uh, uh, not not too much of an exciting background, actually, Mike. I mean, I I, yeah, I did my studies over in in Rome, uh, the Angelicum, got my doctorate over there, and in Mariology, and then. Um, um, you know, uh, married with, with eight children, and I was ordained uh, a deacon in, back in 97 and uh, have been a Franciscan for 35 years. Uh, sometimes students will come up and say, oh, you know, you taught my mom and dad. And I always want to say, well, do you think that type of introduction is going to help you? Um, <laughs> you're going in the wrong direction there, my friend. Uh -huh. so, but anyway, uh, that's been a total blessing. So that's, that's and uh, I, I'm also teaching that at Ave Maria University uh, as well. So it's a real uh, blessing to be able to teach in Her Lady. Which uh, was my next question. What made you choose Mariology as your focus in your studies? Uh, well, you know, it's fascinating. You, you, you're drawing me back to the 19th century with these questions, Mike. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to go back there. Um, you know, there was a point where um, I, I was doing some writing on Fatima uh, I was interested in uh, in the Medjugorje apparition they had just started when I was over in Rome uh, in the early 80s, and there was kind of a decision of you know to do general theology or apologetics. I was doing a lot of that, uh, or just to f kind of focus on Our Lady, and I just felt more peace about uh, focusing on Our Lady. So that's that's kind of what uh, you know brought me to that, and um, and you know it's a, it's, it's a total grace. I, it sounds a bit corny, but it's kind of like Babe Ruth, who says, you know, they actually pay me to play my favorite game. Um, and that's how I feel about teaching on Our Lady. And I'm, thanks be to God, I can, you know, have eight kids and still teach on Our Lady. So um, so it's, it's, just, it's been a great blessing. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very privileged and, and grateful to be able to do that. Your response actually reminds me a little bit about um, St. Ignatius of Loyola and his understanding that, you know, the things that brought him peace were the things that he recognized were from God. And so, you know, yeah. often we don't discern things that way. You know, we pick things based on all kinds of criteria, but so rarely do we ask ourselves, is this what go what is going to bring me peace? Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I Dare I say, uh, I think uh, this is becoming more and more important by the day. Um, you know, it, it just seems like there's so much peacelessness in our surroundings. And even in places per perhaps in the past we thought would be, you know, real pillars of of security and peace, including family life and, and whatnot. And, and even, of course, with proper distinction, you know, some of the challenges happening in, in the church now and but you know we remain faithful to our Holy Father and we keep our prayer going, and and that's where we get our peace. 
uh, it, it's not going to be reading the headlines or making sure we've done our, our third hour of research on blogs. That, that doesn't necessarily yes. bring peace at all. But um, so I, I, I'm glad that you bring that up Mike, because I think it really is um, really is the indicator of, of our Lord guiding us. Um, and sometimes in times of challenge, we go, uh, the, the first thing that's cut out is our prayer because our, our agendas are so full and busy and, I just remember Fulton Sheen just saying, you know, you've got to kick in the holy hour. Uh, he did, of course, daily, but whenever you can. And if not, you know, some quiet time with our Lord. And, and that's where we get our peace. And I think this is becoming harder and harder in our culture just to find moments of silence where we can find that peace because we live in such a noisy, noisy world. Yeah, I yeah, I would agree. I, I sometimes wonder, Mike, if, you know, of the 12 things that we have that we're supposed to accomplish on our on our daily planners, if it really shouldn't be closer to three or four things, yes. uh, you know, that, that our Lord would really prefer a few things, because I think when it is the 12 items, it's very hard to listen to him. And, and I think we become kind of a reluctant to change our daily planner according to his daily planner for us, uh, because we've got ours packed. So it's uh, Sometimes the acts of charity, um, the, the time spent, you know, loving and listening uh, to people in need. Uh, and, and dare I say, uh, you know, the virtues of St. Joseph, which are not really applauded. Say. Patience is not your, 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 you know, your home one virtue in the business world, right? What? Meekness, uh, silence, interiority. Uh, but it is for sanctity and it is for heaven. And that's why uh, I think St. Joseph is such a extraordinary example uh, for what we need exactly at this moment of human history. And I find that interesting, uh, segueing from what we were just talking about, he's so often referred to as a silent saint because there's no words of his recorded anywhere in Scripture. Right. Um, it's funny, actually, um, you know, when we talked before, was we talked a little bit about, you know, the book and, you know, the purpose of the book. Well, it was a couple of years ago that I, I wrote this book on St. Joseph. I was, I was thrilled when Pope Francis, uh, to my mind, an inspiration, you know, declared this year uh, as a year of St. Joseph. Uh, but I actually wrote the book uh, because my my mother, you know, recently deceased, I would always say, you know, on, on, on the Feast of St. Joseph at her particular parish, uh, there was a great celebration for St. Patrick. His, uh, and I have to confess, it was an Irish parish. Uh, you know, uh, a man by Irish uh, religious, which is just wonderful, we thank God. Uh, but uh, her line was always, well, there was such a celebration for St. Patrick, but on St. Joseph's uh, uh, day, uh, the, the homily was, well, we don't know much about St. Joseph because there's not much in Scripture. Let us pray. And he kind of moved on. And so I thought, all right, I better write something down just for my mother here uh, on <laughs> justifying that. It's not just what he said, it's of course what he does, and that's true for all of us. Uh, I mean, St. Joseph's proximity, St. Joseph's fatherhood to the Word made flesh is why the Church gives him a, a, a title, which is not used as much uh, recently, but um, the, the, a title devotion, which was called Protodulia. Protodulia meant first of love and devotion among the saints after Our Lady who was given hyperdulia, which sounds more like a thyroid condition, but it's actually, uh, you know, the highest love and devotion we have, you know, uh, within creation. Of course, that's all secondary, massively secondary to the, to the adoration that we give to Jesus alone. 
So, um, but it, it's it's the words, excuse me, it's the actions of Saint Joseph, his proximity, his fidelity um, to the Word becoming flesh, and, and I mean, imagine being the image of God the Father for Jesus, because that, that's what Joseph was. Joseph mm-hmm. was the human icon, right, of God the Father, and the virtues that the Father must have given him to fulfill that that, that remarkable role. Now, one thing, uh, and I want to delve into this a little bit deeper in a second, but you mentioned in the book that we find St. Joseph not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, which is going to come as a shock to people who... Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it is true, as St. Jerome says, you know, our, our, our greatest biblical commentator, that every central uh, Catholic truth, every key Christian mystery is anticipated and prophesied and, and introduced in the Old Testament. And, you know, with St. Joseph, we have, first of all, the whole line of patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, you know, St. Joseph is the greatest of the patriarchs because he's actually the spiritual adoptive father to Jesus himself. And, and that's, that's a greater fatherhood than, than any fatherhood of the Old Testament. Um, but also, even in the figure of Saint of excuse me, the Old Testament Joseph, uh, you've got a very strong um, anticipation because, of course, the Old Testament Joseph um, was prophesied to by God. Uh, Saint Joseph, uh, uh, the Old Testament Joseph, received dreams, prophetic dreams. Uh, his chastity was tested uh, in, in 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 Egypt, and through it all, and, and his fathers, both both you know, Old Testament and New Testament fathers were named Jacob. Uh, and ultimately, uh, Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph, becomes an instrument of leading his people to um, to, a, to a type of salvation, uh, certainly from from the, the famine, um, and, and of course, the New Testament Joseph, as the custodian of the Redeemer, leads us ultimately uh, to Jesus, the, the universal Redeemer. So there's really remarkable parallels between the Old Testament Joseph uh, and in anticipation, uh, really, of the New Testament Joseph. Now, while St. Joseph might have been silent in the scriptures, and we don't have any of his words, throughout the centuries, many of the saints and popes have spoken very eloquently and in great volume about St. Joseph. Would you talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah, surely, Mike. I mean, uh, even from, you know, the New Testament onward, and, and you know, it, it, if I can make just very brief reference of what is revealed of St. Joseph in the New Testament, he, he is, as St. Augustine would say, he's not the biological father of Jesus, but he's the true father. And sometimes the, the word foster father sounds like it's kind of temporary and, and, and kind of um, legal versus, you know, St. Augustine said, no, St. Joseph, we, we see this in the New Testament. He's the true adoptive father. He's the true moral father. And certainly, you know, for our listeners who have experienced adoption, they know about adoption. And I mean, a father who adopts a child and, and loves and sacrifices and forms I mean, in many ways, is, is more the true father than, than simply a biological father, which, you know, you know can, can be in, in an instant versus a whole life of sacrifice. So Augustine was very strong on saying, no, we should call St. Joseph the father of Jesus, the adoptive father, 
the spiritual father. Obviously, he's not the biological father, but but he, he does all that caring. And we see in the New Testament, Joseph uh, is the one who's in charge of, of, of safeguarding uh, the infant Jesus from the wrath of Herod. And they have to go live in a uh, a, a distant land uh, of Egypt, and Joseph has to provide for them there. And uh, even through the, the infancy narratives of Scripture of the New Testament, God always contacts Joseph. Um, uh, and, you know, Joseph, I think we can say Mike, clearly, you know, as, as fathers, you know, in, in light of the Holy Family, Joseph came in third out of three in terms of holiness. Uh, but that's not bad when, number one, is Jesus, who's God himself, and number two is the Immaculate Conception. But still, God directed the Holy Family through Joseph. Why? Because it was his vocation. He's still the head of the Holy Family. He still has that authority and service. So I think, as you, as you rightly said, there's not a word that Joseph utters, but the, the actions of Joseph are, are very strong. And, and we'll see the fathers and the doctors of the church and the popes really pick up on that in, in, in a strong way. And, and uh, you know, going to the end of that list, You've got the 19th and 20th century uh, popes, even leading into the 20th, 21st century, really uh, talking about um, St. Joseph, starting with Pius the, the Ninth, uh, the patron of the universal church. Well, that means that more than any other individual saint after Our Lady, St. Joseph is the saint for all the members uh, of the church. It's, it's, it's really an, an extraordinary title. And all the way up through Pope Francis, who has an image of St. Joseph on his papal motto, um, and was very quick to enter St. Joseph into the other three Eucharistic prayers. So you've got a line of two, two centuries of popes really pointing the, the, the attention of the faithful uh, to the power and, and the love uh, and the example of St. Joseph. And I think it's such a powerful statement about the importance of recognizing St. Joseph as the patron of the Universal Church. Because if we accept St. Joseph as the guardian of the body of Jesus as a child, then he's also the guardian of the body of Christ in the church. Yeah, absolutely true. And, and just a, a critical point. I mean, and we can kind of take what St. Augustine says about the mystical body and apply it here. What Joseph was to Jesus, Joseph is to you and to me and to every one of our listeners. He is a spiritual father who wants to intercede for our sanctity and our protection. So everything St. Joseph did for Jesus while Jesus was on earth, St. Joseph wants to do for each one of us. But as always, we have to let him. And what's that door? That's called freedom. That's called accepting St. Joseph as, as a true spiritual father, going to him in needs of anything from you know, family crisis to uh, unemployment. Um, you know, he's the terror of the demons, but he's also the one who can help sell your house if you have to move quickly. And, and that's kind of the holistic dimension of St. Joseph's intercession for us. And, and why, uh, again, I think it was a real inspiration that our Holy Father called us to focus on St. Joseph during this year. One, we can use him in, in, in all those ways. I think we could all, you know, happily admit Yes, and a reminder to our listeners, we're talking to Dr. Mark Miravalli about his book, Meet Your Spiritual Father, A Brief Introduction to St. Joseph. Now, one of the things that you mentioned in your book is um, 
when we talk about St. Joseph in the New Testament, there's a distinct difference between St. Joseph being just a man and St. Joseph being a just man. Yeah, it's a very, uh, I think, an important point. Just, even in, in both in the Greek and the Hebrew, doesn't just mean giving someone their due. Just means righteous. Our closest word would be holy. And it's an interesting context, uh, Deacon Mike, of, of where that comes up, because it comes up at a moment of crisis, a, a moment of trial. It is when, according to tradition, that you know, St. Joseph realizes that Mary is with child. He obviously knows it's not his child because they, they have had no relations and, and would not have any relations. And so he also realizes that St. Joseph, excuse me, that Our Lady is uh, of untold virtue and, and, and purity. And so that time of ordeal, and that's classically how a lot of the fathers and the, and the doctors of the church will talk about it, the ordeal of St. Joseph is you know, what am I to do? Well, St. Joseph turns to the law. And according to the law, you have two options of what you do uh, with a woman who is, uh, you know, in, in part one of marriage. And, and, and allow me just one quick distinction here, Mike, that um, betrothal was marriage part one in, in Jewish law. So it's not like our engagement. Um, our engagement, if we break engagements, well, there's tears and you send back the present. If you break part one of betrothal, you have to get a, a divorce for that, even today in Orthodox Judaism. So Mary and Joseph were married, but they were married part one, that is the betrothal, but it was before Joseph brought Mary into his home. So it's in that context, after Mary returns from Elizabeth, that Joseph sees it, she's with child. And, and so the law allows two possibilities. One is that she could be stoned to death for infidelity. Two is that they could separate quietly. And if you chose two, some of the, quote, guilt would be applied to the husband. Uh, and so St. Joseph is called just because he willingly will take some of the, uh, quote, guilt for this child rather than even conceive the idea of, of having Mary stoned to death for, for impurity. Uh, and so that's the context of Joseph being called just, and then on, and thank God, all of a sudden, the angel comes and explains, Joseph, you know, take Mary as, you know, as your wife, because indeed the child is of the Holy Spirit. So, and the reason I, I bring it up with, with some detail, Mike, is, you know, we ourselves are in situations like that plenty of times where we're in, we're in challenging uh, prudential choices. And if we default always to the law, we default always to God's will, always to the best, then our Lord will bless us and bring us through those things. So I don't think it's accidental that St. Joseph is called just precisely during his greatest ordeal. And that is, you know, not knowing where the child comes from. And I, I think it's a great lesson for all of us. I've always been struck by the definition of just and righteousness, the notion that we're in justification, we are put back into right alignment with God. And so when St. Joseph is referred to as just, it tells us that his perspective was always in right relationship with God. And so the choices he was making were always going to be geared towards that, that relationship. 
Yeah, that, that's right. And and again, it's a whole life. I mean, you know, so we and again, this is not unique to fathers, of course, but you know, we worry, we get anxious, we you know, we feel the weight, the burden of our families on us. I, I understand you just had a recent move, so I'm sure this rings true in certain ways in terms of just protecting and providing. You know, that's what dads are supposed to do. Well, what about if you're doing it for the redeemer of the universe? That's what you call pressure. <laughs> the idea that you are to protect the redeemer upon uh, everyone's redemption depends. And, and, and so, and you, you actually have the state authority after your child, which is called Herod. I mean, these are real life situations that St. Joseph had to deal with. So he, he's not an ivory tower saint in the sense that he's so theoretical. No, St. Joseph did all the practical things, supporting a family as a refugee in a foreign land, having to deal with local authorities who unjustly sought the death of his, uh, his moral son. Um, and even the idea, uh, as much of tradition would hold, that St. Joseph knew that Jesus would have to die for humanity, but he would not be there. Um, most of the tradition, and even mystical tradition, holds that St. Joseph knew of the crucifixion. He also knew that he would not be present. And what an offering that would be for, for, for a, a, a true father, that you know, my wife and my, my moral son will go through the greatest suffering of all human history, and I won't be there to protect them or to support them. And, and so St. Joseph is, is as down-to-earth as you can get while still being a, a, as, as sanctified as you can get. And I, I think that's why he straddles both of those for, for, for all of us, not just men, but for, for all Christians. And I think this is why he is such a wonderful example to each one of us, because he was just an ordinary man, a man with a job, a man with the responsibilities and, you know, with Jesus, we can always say, well, he was God. And with Mary, well, she was born without sin. But with St. Joseph, he was a man who lived his ordinary life as a saint. And that's the challenge for all of us. Yeah, exactly. It was an extraordinary sanctity within an ordinary vocation, which, which becomes uh, such a light uh, for us, such an opportunity. And, and that's why... You know, as a deacon, I was privileged to hear the, the you know, the, the vows of my oldest son. And during his wedding, I said, you know, John Mark, you know, when you become a dad, the best recommendation I can give to you is to daily pray the litany of St. Joseph. Uh, because when you pray the titles of St. Joseph, then it's almost like an examination of conscience. It's almost like, and again, not exclusive to men by any sense, but but in a special way, you know, am I being a mirror of patience to my family? You know, am I being the protector of, of virtue in my family? Um, it, it's such a wonderful litany of self-examination. Um, and, and, and I think, too, during this year of St. Joseph, you know, Wednesday has always been dedicated as a day of St. Joseph, um, even back in the writings of the papal uh, commentary of, of, of Benedict the, the 15th, back in 1915. He talks about Every Wednesday uh, should be dedicated to St. Joseph. Well, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if every Wednesday, just during, even for the rest of this year of St. Joseph, we could pray the litany of St. Joseph, which takes all of, you know, three or four minutes. Mm. But is it 
powerful in terms of reminding us of the virtues we should have. Um, uh, the kids, uh, you know, we do it as a family. And the kids always love terror of the demons, and that's exciting. You know, for for that he's the terror of the demons. I find being the mirror of patience to be mo- the most challenging. Uh, but I think he speaks to all of us in terms of virtues of, of holiness that we that we're all called to to, to emulate. Again, we're talking to Dr. Mark Miravalli about his book, Meet Your Spiritual Father, A Brief Introduction to St. Joseph. Now, one of the things that uh, I found uh, interesting in your book is you talk about the age of St. Joseph, and there's, over the years, been some confusion as to how old St. Joseph would have been. Yeah, well, and I'm glad you bring us back to that, because when we go back to the to really the second century, the second and third centuries, you have a lot of apocryphal writings on Joseph. And by apocryphal writings, I mean Christian writings that certainly have not been canonized uh, to be part of the New Testament. So they tend to be very mixed. There there are certain elements that are true there, uh, but there's also, particularly in some, you know, great exaggeration. So, for example, on the issue of St. Joseph's age, you have St. Joseph anywhere from 80 to 120, uh, even to 160 years old in the apocryphal writings. Now, the obvious question, why? Why such extremism about the age of Joseph? Well, the intention is to try to protect Mary's virginity, and it's being done so by an exercise of trying to say, well, you know, St. Joseph was so ancient of age, that was never a possibility. But that's never been um, embraced by the church, because what, we, what you're really doing there, Deacon Mike, is you're, um, you're substituting, you know, age for virtue. St. Joseph was the virtuous man. Uh, St. Joseph was a virgin, as was Our Lady. Um, it wasn't due to age, it was due to a fortitude of heart, a courage, a custody, uh, a chastity uh, that allowed St. Joseph to respect uh, Our Lady uh, not because he was ancient. And, and, and again, you have a similar case when they talk about you know, the, the brothers of Jesus. A lot of the same apocryphal writings said that, well, no, Jesus, uh, Joseph was actually married earlier and he had you know, uh, six kids from his first marriage. So that when the New Testament talks about the brothers of Jesus, well, those are really you know, uh, sons of Joseph from a previous marriage. Once again, the church has never accepted that because. It's a, it's a, again, in this case, you're trying to explain, you know, Mary's virginity protected by saying that these must be, you know, uh, sons of Joseph from previous marriage. No, I mean, the Greek is Adelphos. Uh, it, it, it's brothers, cousins, near relatives. The Hebrew is Ach. It's the same thing. Uh, it, there's no sense where it's limited to biological brothers. So I think what we have to do is always acknowledge St. Joseph's virtue, his charity, his virginity. Um, and that it was through that kind of virtue that St. Joseph was the husband and, and the moral father to Jesus, not due to you know, secondary cases of previous marriages or, or, or great antiquity of age. And I think this brings us to uh, my next question. And uh, you were talking about you know St. Joseph's presence in the events in Jesus's life that we have in Scripture. And in each one of those, St. Joseph would have been made greatly aware of who Jesus was and be aware of the role Mary plays in the game of salvation. And so, you know, when we look at that, 
St. Joseph could not have had any doubt as to the specialness of the Blessed Mother. Right, and, and, and both regarding Jesus, and remember the angel says that, you know, the child is of the Holy Spirit, uh, and regarding Our Lady. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, and, and, and again, it, it, it emulates for us, too, we might have certain plans for our life that we think would be pleasing to God and also pleasing to us. God may have a different plan. I mean, clearly, St. Joseph, as, as, a, as a young boy or as a young, even as a teenager, didn't say, well, you know, since I will be, you know, the spiritual father, the, you know, the moral virginal father of the Word made flesh, I better get this down or get that down. And, and plus, I will be married to the Immaculate Conception. And, and that, 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 that's just not, that's not tenable that Joseph would know those things, but it was God's will for him. And so God gave him the gifts to fulfill this. I mean, uh, imagine the holy reverence and the marital love that Joseph would have for Mary. And it's, it's both and um, it, it, it's not an either or um, you can have a, a profound reverence and still be spousal. Um, you know, some, sometimes in our own age, there's so much given, um, uh, so much focus given to the sexual gift, and of course, the sexual gift is a great and a powerful gift. But it's not the only gift, and it's not the only way you give the gift of the heart. Well, that's what Joseph and Mary gave to each other. They were truly married, and they gave each other their hearts, and they mutually agreed that the gift of the body would not be a gift that they would open. Um, so, the, uh, the, the the extraordinary respect and love that Saint Joseph would have for Mary. And vice versa, that Our Lady would have for St. Joseph, this humble protector, this patient guardian, tending to, to all the needs of the Holy Family. It's just, again, it's, it's a beautiful exemplar for Christian marriage uh, and for fatherhood at a time when both seem to be under particular uh, attack. So we, we need these icons. We, we need these, these ideals, which, which uh, both our Blessed Mother and, and St. Joseph give us for marriage and, and for uh, saintly men and, and saintly, saintly women. We've already touched on this a little bit, but um, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, I've always had a special devotion to St. Joseph in part because I'm adopted. My biological mm. father passed away. My mother remarried when I was seven, and my f dad's middle name is Joseph. And so the notion mm. has always been, you know, I've never considered my dad anything other than my father. And so this notion, you know, that St. Joseph was the father of Jesus makes perfect sense to me. It, you know, I never had any confusion about that, but that's not true for everybody. There's people that, you know, are confused by that idea that St. Joseph is the father of Jesus. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and, yeah, and thank you for, for sharing that, Deacon. Like I, I mean, that's a beautiful testimony in, in practice and in action. Yeah, I mean, again, going back, to, to just the reality, I mean, biological fatherhood could, could be, you know, a, a very brief in passing. Uh, it, it could, you know, it doesn't have to be. It could be a beautiful expression of love and, and, and mutual giving. But that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, or there are other circumstances where, again, um, God calls home a parent early. So true fatherhood is in the order of love and sacrifice. And that's why St. Joseph is the pinnacle example of true 
fatherhood. Um, you know, St. Augustine uh, also talks very much, as does St. Thomas Aquinas about, um, on this particular point, St. Thomas really points out that, you know, Joseph's presence also protected the Holy Family from um, the, the searchings of Satan for the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14. Let me just give a quick explanation of what I mean by that. That, you know, you know a virgin will conceive and bear a, a child, and, and his name will be Emmanuel. Well, Satan reads Scripture, too. We know that because Satan quoted Scripture to Jesus, uh, you know, which, which bespeaks his, 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 his you know, terrible uh, and, and very tragic arrogance uh, to think that you're going to quote, you know, the word to the word and trick him. But, but Satan is going to be searching for throughout the world for this, you know, single mother and a special child. Well, the presence, the mere presence of St. Joseph was protecting um, Mary and the infant Jesus. Um, and uh, St. Thomas would go on to say that there was a special moral bond that God the Father put into the heart of Jesus. So Jesus would look to Joseph and he would see him as his true father and that God the Father also put a beautiful moral bond in the heart of um, St. Joseph so he would have the courage to, to command Jesus, to have authority over Jesus. Joseph in his humility would say, who am I to command you know, the word made flesh? But with the special grace, that was his call. His call was to have a true, loving, but paternal authority over Jesus. So, uh, I mean, very much as it sounds like happened between, you know, your father and, and, and you, Deacon Mike, that God provides in the order of love what, what can not be there in various cases of, 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 uh, of, of life or, or, or physicality, uh, so that the love between uh, a, a father and adopted son can well excel the love that's present even in, when the physical relationship is there. So it's really the primacy of love and sacrifice over just the biological that, that, that bespeaks the unity of the heart of St. Joseph with the heart of Jesus. And why many saints will say St. Joseph, Jesus refuses St. Joseph nothing because, uh, and of course St. Joseph doesn't ask for anything that Jesus doesn't want, but but that's the bond. That's the bond of their hearts, which is so powerful, and that's why St. Joseph's intercession is also so powerful. Listening to you, I had a thought that perhaps St. Joseph's simplicity itself aided Jesus when Herod was looking for him, because I would imagine Herod would have first started looking in royal families for the coming Messiah, and that might have provided enough time for them to get out of town. Yeah, you know that's really that's really possible, uh, especially yeah. If you're talking about the fulfillment of the line of David, you're not going to go to the most lowly hut uh, or the cave. <laughs> um, so yeah, even even their poverty and humility and Joseph's poverty and humility, um, you know, was was a protective uh, for for our Lord as an infant. Now, getting back to the purpose of the book. What would you like for our listeners who purchase this book, who read it, who contemplate it? What would you like for them to come away with after reading it? Yeah, well, you know, it reminds me that, you know, Fulton Sheen, who's, I just have a great love of, of Archbishop Sheen, you know, after every priest retreat he gave, and he gave hundreds of them, uh, he, he would always end by saying, now, look, 
if you don't end by doing a holy hour as a priest, then I don't care if you thought this idea was good or, or insightful, then my retreat is a failure. And, and analogously, I would say that, you know, the goal of the book is that you would really accept, uh, that, that our listeners would really accept St. Joseph as their spiritual father, uh, not just as, you know, a statuesque figure off to the side or some, some theoretical idea, but that you would start going to Joseph. You know, there's a great line in the Old Testament because uh, the people come to Pharaoh and saying, you know, we're starving. And there's the line, Ite ad Joseph, uh, you know, go to Joseph. And that can beautifully be brought to the New Testament to right now. We should go to Joseph. I mean, we all have a laundry list of, of needs and challenges. And so the goal would be go to St. Joseph with confidence. And, you know, I, I have to refer to what St. Teresa of Avila, arguably the greatest single devotee of St. Joseph, uh, called the, the St. Joseph challenge. And her challenge was, basically, if you have not personally experienced the powerful intercession of St. Joseph, then put him to the test. Ask for something that is really important in your life. And then Teresa of Avila, who's the doctor of the church on prayer, says, be, be ready to be astounded. Now, she also says sometimes St. Saint, Saint Joseph will also adjust what you're asking for because St. Joseph would never give you something or intercede for something that's not for your betterment. And sometimes in our, in our flawed you know, human understanding of divine providence, we ask for something that's not ideal. The French have this saying, you know, be careful to pray to God, you might get what you ask for. So in, in this sense, St. Joseph can also adjust our intentions for that which is most pleasing to God. But I guess I would offer our listeners that same challenge. You know, if you haven't personally experienced the intercession of St. Joseph, then put him to the test. Ask for something important in your life and then have a real peaceful expectation that if it's of God and it's for your holiness, that St. Joseph will intercede powerfully because he, he really is our spiritual father. Whether we acknowledge it or not, he really is. It's just a wonderful thing if we bring him into our spiritual life and start you know, asking him for that intercession and, and, and welcoming it into our, into our homes and into our hearts. Now, where's the best place to purchase this book? Uh, I notice it's Augustine Institute Press, so uh, where can our listeners get a copy? Well, they can either go to motherofallpeoples.com. It's on the homepage there, and there's a little discount running for this year uh, of St. Joseph, so motherofallpeoples.com, uh, or they can go to the Augustine Institute as well, uh, whichever is uh, easier. But um, again, it's, it's just that we acknowledge... And, and hopefully receive, you know, the graces from the spiritual father who's so powerful and so loving to each one of us, especially, you know, during the grace of this year. Yes. And um, I encourage all our uh, listeners to purchase the book. I found it to be very enlightening. There's, you know, perspectives there that you really don't think about much, uh, especially, you know, St. Joseph in the Old Testament and the question of fatherhood and uh, the way you tackled them were wonderful. Now, I have one final question. We have just a little over a minute and a half. Why is St. Joseph so important to the world we live in today? Well, I think, you know, Our Lady of Fatima kind of answers that. Uh, you know, St. Joseph appears uh, on October 13, 1917, uh, at the Solar Miracle. Uh, and, I, and, and it's not just because, you know, Our Lady said, I'm coming down from my last apparition at Fatima. Would you like to join me? 
I think it's to reveal that for the church to triumph, for, for her promise, you know, in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. For that to happen, the patron of the church is going to have to be involved. So I, I believe it's so important today because heaven wants, God wants, the Trinity wants St. Joseph to be acknowledged anew and afresh. And the more we do so, the more we will really participate in the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, uh, which Our Lady tells us Fatima is the way and the only way that peace will enter our world. It's a peace of Jesus that'll come through her intercession. And St. Joseph is a key uh, player as the patron of the Universal Church in, in bringing that peace to the Church and through the Church to the world. Dr. Deacon Mark Miravalli, STD, I want to thank you very much for being on the air. I, like I said, I enjoyed the book, especially because I have a devotion to St. Joseph, and I think our listeners will get a whole lot out of it. Uh, in the meantime, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Next week, Gene Wilhelm will be your host on the Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when considering the many ways in which you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up. Since you woke me